thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for moving in our hearts and in our church in a great way. We bless you, Holy Father. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Well, say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. I want to talk to you about victorious faith. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I believe Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. It's his message and it's his uh, revelation. Paul is identifying the greatness of the power of the Word of God. He's saying that the Word of God is, is sufficient in power to have created through the unseen things called words everything in the natural and the physical realm that we see around us. The Genesis account of creation tells us that God spoke into nothingness and created something. This word in uh, verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. This word framed in the Greek, it means to complete and it means to repair or build up. It's used several times other places in the New Testament. And in one place, it's, it's used, it's uh, translated perfect. The just, the uh, spirits of just men made perfect. And in some sense, in some applications, it means to adjust and repair. To adjust and repair. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And King James says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness moved upon the face of the deep. Other translations say that instead of the, the world was without form and void, it says it became without form and void. And God took what was left, the matter that was left here on the earth after the destruction created by Satan himself and the judgment that was passed upon him when God kicked him out of heaven. God adjusted and repaired the earth to come back into the, the semblance or the reality of the kingdom of God. He created everything that was made by God in the first six days of creation and on the seventh day he rested. Now the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 that God's adjustment, his repairing, his creating work was for the purpose of man having authority. Genesis 1.26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, and let them have dominion on the earth. The one thing that the Bible tells us about God's intent and purpose in his actions of creation was for man to have authority. For man to have authority here on the earth. 
there are, well, I might as well just come out and say it. I'm embarrassed at my own lack of understanding, particularly where Jesus is concerned. What I mean by that is, in Matthew chapter 4, well, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. This is the story of, uh, or the account of the temptation of Jesus. Now, folks, I want you to realize something. Matthew has only one way to know what happened when Jesus was tempted of the devil. Jesus was out there by himself. There were no disciples. He hadn't even picked any disciples yet. There was nobody else out there that could give an account of what took place and how it took place, except for Jesus. Jesus had to have told his disciples about this. Jesus had to have revealed to his disciples so that they could give us a record. Now, I'm sure somebody could very easily say, well, the Holy Ghost could have revealed it to them. That's certainly possible. But why would the Holy Ghost have to reveal it to them, to the disciples when Jesus was with them day by day by day? When the devil came with the temptation, first temptation was, if thou be the son of God, command these stones be made bread. Verse four, but Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Folks, there's two things that this verse of scripture is telling us that we need to get a hold of. First of all, it's telling us the priority that Jesus placed on the word of God and the weapon that's available to us to overcome the temptation of the enemy. Jesus answered by quoting the word, by speaking the word. He spoke what the word says. And it's instructive for us because if, it, if the word of God, the spoken word of God was good enough for Jesus to overcome the devil, then why would we expect that there would be something different provided for us rather than the same word and the same power that Jesus used for himself? Amen. Now, the second thing that this tells us is that Jesus was a man of faith. We talk about, we, we point to and, and quote and read Mark chapter 11, verse 22, where Jesus says, have faith in God. He's referring to the fig tree that he cursed the day before. Walking back by the same place, Peter draws it to his attention, how that it was dried up from the roots. And Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. Other translations related to a different, little different wording. Some say have the faith of God. One translation says reckon on God's faithfulness. And Jesus tells us about how this thing called faith works. For whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And we talk about faith in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry. But until the last couple of years, it's never really occurred to me that Jesus was a man of faith before his ministry ever started.
See, when God gave man authority, he dictated to man how that authority was to be used. And here we've got Jesus describing faith and using his faith that produced supernatural results. It caused a living tree to die overnight. It took the life of an unfruitful circumstance or hindrance and changed it forever. This thing called faith started long before Jesus came to the earth. You may remember in Numbers chapter 13 where the children of Israel came to the promised land, sent 12 spies over across the Jordan River into Canaan land to spy out the land and see what was there. You remember 10 of them came back with an evil report and said, we can't do what God said we can do. Two of them had a good report, maintained a good report, Caleb and Joshua. But the congregation sided in, sided in with the ten rather than the two. And in Numbers chapter 14, it goes on to say that the children of Israel lifted up their voices and murmured against Moses and against Aaron. They were ready to give up and kill their leaders and go back into Egypt. But God said something during that discourse where the children of Israel rejected God and his word and his promises. And Numbers chapter 14, I think it's verse 25, 26, somewhere around there. God said to Moses, tell the children of Israel, as truly as I live, I will deal with them according as they've spoken in my ears. Now that phrase, as truly as I live, is a, a little difficult in the King James. But God is saying, these are, he, he uses two characteristics. There are two main characteristics for how God lives or how God exists. One is, he's eternal. It never ends. And the other characteristic is that he never changes. So when God says, as truly as I live, he's swearing by himself and by his own existence that this is the way that it is. And this is the way that it will always be. And it shall never change. Well, what never changes? What's going to be eternal? What, what's going to be something that never changes? The unchanging eternal law of God is you can have what you say. As you have spoken in his ears, so will he do unto you. Now here's a question for you. Why did God leave it up to them? Why didn't God just say, this is what I want, I've expressed my will, and it was his will for them to take the promised land. It was not the will of God, it never was the will of God, it never became the will of God for them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That was their choice. They're the ones that determine that. Why did God leave it to them? Because God gave man authority on the earth. See, here's proof positive. 
and we could give you many other examples as well. But here's positive proof that it's not just what God wants that determines what his children will have here on the earth. It's what they say. It's what they say. So Jesus identifies this faith and how it works. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now one of the things that got me started thinking and, and well, revealed this to me in greater measure than I'd ever seen it before is the story of Jesus turning the water into wine. It was the first miracle that he ever performed in his ministry. And you may remember the story how that his mother has something to do with the serving of the, the people and so forth, which was uh, generally reserved for relatives. So this wedding in Cana was probably some relative of Jesus in some way or somehow. But she came to Jesus, Mary did, and said they're out of wine. And Jesus seems like he rebukes her to say, I guess he's concerned about her desiring his action for their personal gain. And after it, he gives this rebuke to her, she turns to the servants and she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Mary's experience with Jesus before he ever entered his ministry, at that point in time, he'd been baptized by John in the Jordan River, but there's no indication that she was there when it took place, and neither is there any evidence, because he had, he had not yet started to do in miracles, that there was additional power or miracle power on him. She would have no, nobody would have any reason to, to expect that to be the case until he started doing miracles. But her experience with Jesus in 30 years of being his mother and day-to-day and -day fellowship with him, she knew his words came to pass. She knew whatever he said became reality. Didn't look like what, it didn't matter what things looked like. Didn't matter how she felt or how anybody felt about it. Her experience identified the power in the things that he said. Whatever he says to you, do it. Jesus was a man of faith from the time that he was old enough to read and to know the word. Jesus recognized the eternal and unchanging law of God that we have what we say, that God deals with us according to the words that we speak. 
Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, tells us about Moses delivering his farewell address to the children of Israel. He's going off the scene and Joshua is going to take his place. Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land and take possession of what was theirs and had been theirs for 40 years, even though they rejected it. And Moses, in his farewell address, on behalf of God, said these words. He said, I call heaven and earth to record against you. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your children may live. Choose life. It's their choice. Again, the way that most of the church world thinks today is it's not our choice of what happens to us, but it's God's choice. And people come up with wrong doctrines and wrong ideas about God regarding sickness and disease, for example. A Christian may contract or be diagnosed with some disease and immediately, because of wrong teaching, they may think that God's behind it somehow or another. Rather than recognizing that we have authority on the earth, we have the right to choose. We have the responsibility. We've been delegated the responsibility to choose by our words to say what we will have, whether it be life or death, blessing or cursing. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. The end of the chapter, verse 28 says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine. It's interesting to note that they weren't astonished at him. They were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Notice the word one in verse 29 is in italics. It means that the translators added that word to help us with our understanding. At least they were attempting to, doing the best they could. But apparently they didn't know even the things that we're talking about. Literally it says, Jesus taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. This word has, this word as means how. This word having means to hold. So they were astonished at his doctrine and his teaching because he taught them how to hold authority. Well, how do you hold authority? The same way God held and exercised authority in the creation account. He spoke into existence that which he desired. He spoke into existence that which he desired. What had Jesus done that Mary is talking about whatever he says to you, do it. She's seen somehow, she's seen the miraculous take place as a result of his words. She's seen things change in Jesus' life and in her life as well because of the things that Jesus said. 
Now, folks, if Jesus did these things, if Jesus had this experience, if she had this experience with him as being the mother of Jesus, if he did these things because he was the son of God, then he's a partner to the greatest fraud that ever was. Because here in Matthew chapter 7, it tells us that he taught them how to hold authority. He didn't teach them that he had authority. He taught them how to hold or how to exercise, how to use authority. Well, we know what that is. We know that authority is exercised by the spoken word. We have proof that Jesus did that himself to overcome the temptation of the devil. Jesus didn't hesitate when he was tempted of the devil. He didn't stop and go to prayer to find out what God wanted him to do. He understood the eternal and unchanging law of God that we have what we say. That it will be unto us. God will exercise his power on our behalf according to the words that we speak. According to the words that we speak. Jesus said that this thing called faith would produce impossible results. Results that seem to be impossible. We see again from Paul's instruction in Hebrews chapter 11 that the word of God, the unseen word of God, has greater power than anything and everything in this physical realm. It can and will change anything in this physical realm. Jesus went on to say that if we exercised our faith, nothing would be impossible to us. There's no limitation on what the Word of God will perform in our lives when we speak it. Now let's back up a little bit in Matthew chapter 7 and see the last thing that Jesus taught. Verse 24, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house on a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Notice Jesus is teaching the last thing that he teaches before it mentions to us about authority in the next few verses. The last thing that Jesus taught as a part of the Sermon on the Mount was quite simply, it's your choice how you're going to live in this earth. It's your choice whether or not you're going to be swept away with the storms of life. It's up to you. You're the one that decides whether you will build your house on the rock. You're the one that decides what place the Word of God will hold in your life. You're the one that decides to what degree you will speak the Word of God and expect miraculous results. Your choice. Not God's choice. He chose for all of His children to live in victory. But it's your choice. It's your choice whether you'll speak to the mountain or not. 
It's your choice whether you'll speak to the unfruitful circumstances or ungodly circumstances of your life. It's your choice whether you'll look at the things that Satan is attempting to do in your life and allow it or stop it dead in its tracks. It's your choice. Now go back down with me again to Matthew chapter 20, uh, Matthew 7, verse 29. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them how to hold authority. Now notice the next thing. It says, and not as the scribes. And not as the scribes. It's contrasting Jesus' teaching that your words are important. It's Jesus who's teaching that when you speak the word of God, circumstances change. Now, how did the scribes teach? The scribes taught in questions. The scribes were all about asking questions. Some of you may remember John Osteen, who pastored Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. His son, he's now gone on to be with the Lord, and his son, Joel, is pastoring the church and has for many years. Brother Osteen was a Baptist minister who got filled with the Holy Ghost. And he would tell how that in the Baptist church, they were taught that every service should be an evangelistic service. He talked about how that their thing in the Baptist church and his Baptist church was rededicating their lives. And he said, we did that over and over and over again. And he'd make a joke and say, we wore our rededicators out. But folks, here's a simple truth that you need to know. When you talk to Christians like they're unsaved, when you teach believers that they need of their, uh, that they have a need of a savior, the devil uses that and twists that to keep you from ever growing spiritually. One of the most important parts of our lives <clears throat> is the delivery room. It's where we come into this, this world and the life of this world. But as important as the delivery room is, how much do we use it and how important is it in our daily life? Well, it's not at all. We had a great need for the delivery room to come into this realm. But we don't need it again after that. In the same way, an evangelistic service will bring people into the kingdom of God. But if you keep talking to, to believers, people who are saved by the blood of Jesus, about their need of a Savior, then not only does it keep them from growing spiritually, it raises doubt so that they go through life, and many people spend the entirety of their Christian life, their Christian walk, wondering if they really are saved. 
Jesus taught them how to use authority. He didn't teach them of their need for a savior. You may remember in Matthew 16, Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And his disciples answered and said, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're one of the other prophets. Then Jesus turned it around and said, who do you say I am? Peter answered for the group and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus commends him. But what he says is kind of interesting. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, Simon, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he went further and said, and I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, whatever you exercise authority toward here in the earth, heaven backs you up. He's talking about authority. Whatever you loose here on the earth, whatever you speak to turn loose here in the earth, heaven backs you up in that too. But notice it starts in the earth in both cases, whether it's binding or loosing. The exercise of authority through the spoken word, through speaking the word of God, it has to start with you. God delivered the word to us when he first spoke it. It's up to us to decide what we're going to do with it. Then Jesus told them plainly. He began to teach plainly, the scripture said, about his death, burial, and resurrection. But then he told them not to tell anybody he was in Christ. He told them not to tell anybody. Now, folks, these are people, these disciples are people that he sent out into cities that he's never yet been to. What did they preach? We know they were not men of great faith. They probably weaved in and out of faith to different degrees and in different areas. But even after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, he upbraided them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief. So it's not like Jesus told the disciples these things and they understood it or they comprehended it in its entirety. These were guys that were just simply doing the same thing Jesus did. We know from what the Bible tells us about Jesus' teaching that he taught them about the Father. He taught them about God's love for his children. They taught about the kingdom of God, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, which very simply can be identified, and Jesus defined it for us. It's identified as God wants the same thing for you here on the earth that he wants for you in heaven.
So how did Jesus teach? He didn't teach by raising endless questions. He taught that you have what you say. He taught that you could have what you say. Folks, most of you know that I've been dealing with something for about 10 years that the doctors have diagnosed as Parkinson's. I've learned a lot about Parkinson's, or at least what the medical community knows about it. Pretty much any symptom of anything can be a part of Parkinson's. <laughs> it's not something that can be easily identified by the symptoms. There are certain symptoms to it that, that seem to hold true with just about every case or nearly every case. But there's a lot of other things that one person has been diagnosed with Parkinson's may uh, experience that somebody else has been diagnosed with Parkinson's does not. Now, because of the 10 years period that I've been battling this thing and standing in faith, fighting the, the fight of faith against it. There have been things well, I want to be careful how I say these things. Every night for the last 10 years, a little over 10 years now, but every night, I have no idea why it's at the, only at the nighttime, or mostly in the nighttime. But the attack of the enemy has been withering. That was a word that came up in my heart just this last week. But the word withering carries with it the idea that it causes a, a plant or a tree or whatever to wither and die. And like I said, I don't know why it's been in the night or it's reserved to the nighttime, but that's just the way that it's worked. And part of it, and part of what the devil uses against you when you're standing in faith for something is the time involved. The devil's always screaming when to your mind. And then the devil will try to use it, at least in my case, to say that my faith must not be working. My faith must not be sufficient because of the time that's been involved. And folks, there's a lot of things I don't have answers for. And the things I don't have answers for that are not relative to my circumstance and my situation, I've committed to God that I won't talk, that I won't even touch it in the thought line. I think the devil distracts a lot of people. I know his purpose is to distract a lot of people by getting them focused on things that really don't have anything to do with the most important things. And there have been things along the way 
that I've gained the victory over, symptoms that I used to have that I don't have anymore. But the biggest part of this disease called Parkinson's has to do with the function of your brain. And folks, I, I have to tell you the truth. Over the last 10 years, the better part of that time, I've been in what seems to me to be a mental fog. There are things that have changed or did change to a great degree concerning me as an individual and me as a minister. One of the things that I had to start doing is making notes. Before this Parkinson's diagnosis, before this attack began, I never used a note for any sermon that I preached. A part of my association with Brother Hagen, even though we stand in different offices, he was a, pa a prophet and a teacher. I'm a pastor and a teacher. But part of my association with Brother Hagen was that just as a prophet offer, uh, operates on divine inspiration, my teaching operated as a result of divine inspiration. But when my brain wouldn't work the way that I wanted it to, or the way that it used to, then I'd get stuck in the middle of a sermon. And I'd have to have something to remind me or something to go back to. But just over the last couple of weeks, my mind is coming back. David talked about the Word of God being more precious than silver and gold, about the treasure of putting the Word of God on the inside of you. Well, that was something that I've always been faithful to. When I found out the Word of God was true, I began to soak my spirit in the Word of God. Now, what I mean by that is I would begin to confess the Word of God that I saw in the Scripture. And there were several decades of meditating in the Word. And some of these things, some of these circumstances associated with this, what again, what the doctors call Parkinson, things would happen slowly and I wouldn't even notice that it changed until they changed back sometime later. But over the last couple of weeks, Scripture has come flooding back to me. Scriptures that I had forgotten. Scriptures that I had put in, in, in my heart many years ago that I had forgotten that were there. But they're starting to flood back now. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Again, I believe this is Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost. He said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke them to, good, to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Skip down with me to verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Folks, there's one thing the devil is after, and that's your confession. Now, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, I've been dealing with and battling against withering attacks of the enemy. Well, that withering, as I said, has to do with a plant or a tree drying up. And we would expect that withering conditions in the natural would be something like drought, lack of water, lack of moisture, something like that. Well, that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 when he was teaching this, the parable of the sower sowing the word. Remember some of the seed, which is the word of God, which is the most powerful thing in the universe, powerful enough to change any and every physical circumstance. He said some people are like the wayside where the seed is sown, but it never takes, never takes root. And he said some of this miraculous, powerful seed falls among stony ground. And it's received into the ground to begin with, but afterward when affliction or persecution arises, because it has no moisture, because it hadn't been watered, by speaking, the word of God into your own life, then it withers and dries up. And then he talked about the seed that falls upon thorny ground. <clears throat> he said that word is cho uh, choked out. Supernatural results, uh, miraculous results even, are choked out by things that are distractions, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust or the desire for other things. That chokes out the word and it doesn't produce fruit. But there is good ground. And that good ground is determined by you, you and I making choices, choosing life over death, choosing blessings over curses. How do you make that choice? You make that choice by the words that you speak. You make that choice by the things that you say. You make that choice by exercising your authority here on the earth. No point in looking to God to do it. No point in praying that God will do it. Because he's not the one that has authority here on the earth. He gave that to you and me. So what is the devil's work? What is the devil attempting to do? What is the devil working toward? Quite simply, he's working toward you giving up your faith. He's working toward you changing what you say. He's working toward you missing out on what God has for you because of circumstances or people that rise up against you 
or being distracted by the things of this world. But if we'll hold fast the profession of our faith, if we refuse to let anything change what we say, if we refuse to let anything alter the spoken word through our lips, then there is no power in heaven, earth, or hell that can stop you and me from walking in God's best. Let me close with Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. Void of what? Void means empty. He said, my word shall not return unto me void. Remember, <clears throat> Jesus told his disciples, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The standing upon God's word the application of God's word, the exercise of authority in God's word always starts on the earth's side. And heaven backs you up with it. So, so <clears throat> Isaiah is telling us by the Holy Ghost that it's impossible for God's word spoken by you or me or any other believer down here on this earth. It's impossible for that word to be void or empty of power. It's impossible for you to speak God's word to God in any powerless situation or circumstance. The word always carries power. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send. So the word of God has a purpose. Speaking the word of God, just like Jesus did when he was tempted of the devil. It is written. Anytime we speak what God's word says, we're putting the word of God. We're activating the power in the word of God. With a purpose or for a purpose. What is that purpose? To accomplish whatever God said was yours. If it's a scripture that retain, pertains to healing, it's impossible for us to speak God's word concerning healing and it not have power to bring health to our bodies. It's impossible to speak provision scriptures and miss out on the power to provide. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not or it cannot return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Now remember, <clears throat> Jesus' definition of the kingdom of God. Thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. So it's impossible for the word of God to be absent power to perform God's will in your life. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's impossible for the word of God to be powerless 
but instead it's full of life and power. Full of life and power to accomplish the thing that he sent the word to do, which is to bring healing, provision, prosperity, and deliverance to you and me. To accomplish what I please and prosper in the things that I send to do. Now notice the next scripture. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. This earth was, was designed and created to work for you and me. James said it this way. He said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Isaiah says it, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you. There'll be shouts of joy and declarations of peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you. We used to sing a chorus from this scripture. I didn't know where it was, but one of the scriptures that came flooding back to me over the last few days was Isaiah 55, 12. Folks, I'm in the home stretch. Why did it take so long, Pastor Mike? I don't know. <laughs> I've never found anybody that's been healed of Parkinson's, so maybe this is just the way it works. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm in the home stretch. Yeah. I sure wouldn't want to do this again. <laughs> but I wouldn't take anything for what I've learned from it. I wouldn't take anything for the confidence that I now have in the Lord. It's greater and stronger than anything I've ever witnessed before. Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John had healed the guy at the beautiful gate, been threatened by the Sanhedrin, same guys that crucified Jesus, are threatening to kill them if they don't stop preaching or teaching in the name of Jesus. So they went back to their own company and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And they lifted up their voice in prayer to God. And here's a part of their prayer. And Lord, grant unto thy servants boldness to speak thy word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Folks, there's a boldness and a confidence in God and in the power of God that comes as a result of God's healing power displayed.
grant unto your servants boldness that they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the holy child Jesus. Thank God for the word. Thank God for the healing power of God's word. Let's lift our hands and begin to worship him just for a moment or two. <coughs> Father, we magnify your holy name. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you took our infirmities and that you bear our sickness. The chastisement of our peace was upon you. And with your stripes or by your stripes, we were healed. Father, we remind you of that which we believe, that which we have commissioned unto you. We thank you, Father, that the prayer of faith heals and delivers the sick and that you are watching over your word to perform it. You are raising us up. Father, we believe that we have what we say because you've given us authority. So we claim abundant provision we claim miraculous resources for these last days. Father, we claim divine health from the top of our head to the soles of our feet because we've been redeemed by Christ from the curse of the law. We thank you, Lord, that you restore our soul. I thank you for restoring mine, Lord. And we believe, even as you have spoken, for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in these last days. Thank you for the rain, Lord. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for bright clouds and lightnings. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this wonderful country you've given to us. But even more than Americans, we are citizens of heaven. And we say, even as Jesus said, we seek to do the will of our Father. We seek to do your will, Father. Thank you for giving us opportunities and utterance to bring others into the same kingdom of God. 
with us. We say we're healed from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever.